Welcome to Beer and a Movie, a podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving us ourselves to... Uh, and you were so close. You're and doing other well, times man. giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. You want to take two? No, I'm leaving. My name's Joe Hilliard, and I am delighted to be with these two guys. We're not together in the same room yet, but I think it's uh, happening soon. And I'm Dave Gurney. (laughs) (laughs) Usually you throw it to me, so I was kind of, yeah. Didn't Uh, didn't quite tee up. uh, One of those guys who may be in a room together with Joe sometime soon, but is not currently. Uh, And I am Carlos Cooper honestly still on the fence about whether i'm going to be in the same room as joe or not <laughs> well if we're not in if we're not if we're not in a room at your house then we probably aren't going to be in the room so That's true. <laughs> no i'm just kidding um yeah it probably will happen soon um and we are here to talk about things and then consume other things and um you know well, you you know don't what? be blase it's the two greatest art forms known to humanity that's true uh i i will uh introduce the first art form and that is the beer oh, i can't wait drink today. uh i had a, a brief moment of panic i thought that i did not have this beer um in my fridge david mm-hmm. accused me of having consumed it off mic already which i have taken great offense to um and we'll be discuss- i will be bonus. discussing said offense uh that i have taken more in the bonus episode which you can find on patreon patreon.com slash beer movie podcast um but this is a beer, uh, it is referred to as a tropical Midwest, seemingly paradoxical terms, uh, fruit tart. <laughs> it is by Urban Artifact Brewing Company. They are based in Ohio somewhere. I don't think it says it on the can. I should have looked before I started talking. Um, and it is called Jordan. Five Iron. Uh, Five Iron is Old West slang Five for your go to. Fire Iron, sorry. Five yes. Iron is a, is, a, is a golf club. I think you're right. Uh, yeah. Fire Iron is an Old West slang term for your go-to handgun. And this, uh, on the scale of less sour to more sour, it's about 65 70% of the way to 100% sour. It's 7.7% ABV. Um, and it says that it has 1,500 pounds of pink guava. <laughs> Per can. can, 500 (laughs) pounds of banana and 400 pounds of passion fruit per 30 barrel batch. Or, sorry. uh, Yeah, 30 barrel batch. Now, a barrel is 30 gallons, 30 barrels. That's 900 gallons of beer, I guess. Did I do that math right? Um, I think I did. And it's, uh, there's also a little write up on here. I'm really dragging this out as long as I possibly can. Uh, Real fruit (laughs) is heavy. Gently turn end over end before opening and serving. The real fruit is used in all urban artifact beer has been fermented mm. out, creating safe, stable, and delicious beer that will not re-ferment or explode under normal storage conditions. Shots fired by the fire iron. <laughs> None of this uh, fruit bomb bullshit. It's not going to explode in your cabinet or your fridge. 
That's a great disclaimer to put on the can. Our beer will not explode. Uh, fa- uh, what? What? Where are we in the state of craft beer that you have to say that on the can? Like, oh, you don't know exactly worry. where we are. You know exactly where we are. We we <laughs> we've had some elaborate uh, um, can opening techniques on the on the podcast before. Uh, plastic bags, bowls, uh, j- just anticipating the potential for secondary uh, fermentation but uh but, but carlos, where, carlos where are we we are on the edge yeah exactly where we should be uh urban or urban artifact is out of cincinnati and this smells like a glass of guava juice to me yeah and i'm and i'm also getting the banana it's it's interesting i never thought we could isolate that sentence from you david but i'm so happy tonight I, hey, I'll take the banana when I can get it. And, and, here, and I'm not going to fall are. for the banana in the tailpipe. Name the movie. Yeah. I'll give you a beer. Um, so well, movie, so what movie are we talking about? Yeah. Oh, sorry. The, the reference. We're talking about a recently new Netflix release called The Devil All the Time uh, with a supporting, we should say right off the top, with a supporting role by one of the our kind favorites, of right. Robert Pattinson. That's right. We have we have a few of our, our favorites, right? And actually, seeing the pairing of uh, of two of our great superhero stars of modern times, Robert Pattinson, who of course is filming the Batman as we speak. I'm I'm sure he's he's on set right now, and uh, Tom Holland, who is uh, the current Spider-Man, Peter Parker, uh, going in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The two of them, uh, Riley Keough. Who, who our listeners will recognize from The Lodge, a great film that uh, was misunderstood when we reviewed it a, a few episodes back. Well, okay. more than a few. Uh, <laughs> Uh, not, not getting any critical reassessment here, am I? Uh, and, and, and a few others. In fact, uh, Skarsgård, right? Uh, is it Bill? Um, who was who uh, Pennywise and It? I mean, this is just a, uh, a packed cast in terms of all the different uh, actors, some, some who have pretty high-profile careers, some who are maybe a little bit smaller. But all that said, to set this story kind of in rural Ohio and West Virginia, so that the other primary setting is a, is a town in West Virginia, and interweaves the stories of all these different people who live in these towns, um, really mostly focusing on uh, the character being played by uh, um, Tom Holland when, when he gets a little bit older, uh, and that is Arvin, Arvin Russell. Uh, the son of a, a character Willard Russell and Charlotte Russell, and and we, we kind of see the, their lives intertwine. I mean, I, I, trying to do a more elaborate plot description here is probably going to be counterproductive because it would take maybe the entire half hour, 45 minutes of this segment of the episode to, to tease out every single little uh, storyline that was going on. But um, but it starts out to some extent with Willard, uh, the, the father of Arvin, coming back from the war, looking f- to sort of set up his life, finding Charlotte, having a family out in, West, uh, out in Ohio, having originally been from West Virginia. But then the entanglements of their lives with all these different people and religion, religion uh, and its impacts or or the role it plays for these people, I think, is the overriding theme of the film. And, and it's right there in the title, right? The devil all the time. Um, one of the early lines in the film is that Arvin feels his dad was fighting the devil all the time. 
when they would go out to the woods to pray in this like little makeshift uh, altar he had with it with a cross. So that that's kind of the setup. Um, you know, w- w- this this is a film that came out on Netflix, I guess, a couple weeks ago. I hadn't even really heard about it too much, but I had somebody ask me if I had seen it. And that that got my curiosity, and I saw that Pattinson was in it. I saw that Holland was in it. I saw you know a number of the other cast, and thought, well, this might be something that's worth us checking out. And here we are, we're to discuss it today. Yeah, I'll go first, Carlos, if you don't mind. And whatever, in 100 whatever episodes, right? We're this that we're that far in. And I think I'm saying this for the first time. This is not a good movie, but there is a good movie in here. Uh, and you really, if you, you watch, really think you're saying that for the first time? I think that those words in that order, yeah. There's a good movie in here, and okay. if you watch it, I think you're going to be minimally entertained, especially if you have a penchant for evil on film. And I do horror, blood, crime. I mean, there's plenty of that in here for you. The pieces are interesting. The performances range from good to great, but put together, the pieces don't make a great movie here. Well, right out, right <laughs> out with it. Um, what do you say to that? You know, I, I mean, I think that, I think that it is in fact a good movie. Uh, well, that's one thing you can say to it. I don't think that it's a great movie. I think that it is a little odd because it's like vignettes, you know, it's to a degree, it's like a series of vignettes, but I find all of those vignettes interesting and I find all of those characters interesting. Um, There's the only linear part of the narrative per se that you can follow. The only through line maybe is Arvin's character uh, to a degree. Um, but I, I don't know. I found that like ending and then beginning again, kind of storyline, uh, or like method of telling the story kind of keeping, you know, maybe if I was starting to like disengage a little bit, then wait, here we are. We're back with these people again. Wait, what the fuck are these people up to? And I don't know. I I thought that was an interesting and fresh it not fresh in the terms of it's never been done before but fresh in that like it's not a technique we see a lot uh, use it's not a an overused uh narrative technique and so because of that i found it at least if nothing else a refreshing view and definitely not one thing you can definitely not say of this film is that, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. It's just like, you know, all these other movies and blah, 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 blah. It is it is, it is not that. It's not um, redundant or – what is the word I'm looking for? David, I feel like you can assist me on this. Um, well, it's it's, it's, inter- it's, inter- it. it's interesting to watch, and I think that some of the characters in it are fantastic, and I – really enjoyed the performances. The last thing I'll say is that I really hope that Tom Holland grows out of this Spider-Man business because he's a pretty good actor. Well, he, he was yeah. great. Yeah, there's a lot of great performances in this movie, and Tom Holland does a great job. 
Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree about with the performances across the board. I, I had no issues with with any of the the performances at all. Um, I like this film. Uh, I I don't think it's a great film. I'll, I'll agree with you there, Carlos. Um, I don't think it's a terrible film. I do think there could have been something better made out of this. Yeah, yeah that's so what I'm, I'm I'm going to agree with Joe to a certain extent. But where my head went was honestly towards serial narrative that more than anything, because I think the problem that I had now when when Carlos was talking about this, uh, you know, the sense that, you know, it's it's vignettes, I think he's he's right. I mean, a lot of this is sort of you just get peeks at these characters and these certain moments in time and how they relate to one another. The only one, um, you know, there with maybe some exception, the only one that we really get to see developed in many different contexts is Arvin. But um, it, in that way, it kind of reminded me to a certain extent of a film like, say, Magnolia, which I rewatched somewhat recently, where you're just kind of dipping into these characters' lives for, you know, maybe critical moments, but certainly just moments. We're not getting the full backstory. We're not getting the full, you know, uh, exploration of their issues or whatever. But we get like just a hint of of, of what's going on and, and where they've been and, and maybe what what's important to them. Um, so... You know, I, I, I guess if I'm looking for a touchstone in terms of what kind of storytelling is this, I think it's something akin to that, which I associate with, I guess, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, maybe to an extent, Robert Altman, who he was definitely inspired by with some of that. Um, I don't know if this film quite reaches the heights that those do. And I think in part that's because, you know, Magnolia is able to pull off what it does, I think in part because Paul Thomas Anderson just has an amazing sense of how to rhythmically lay those things out and sort of bring them together. Music is an important part. And it's five hours long. uh, Three, but yeah, I mean. (laughs) First of all, it's over three. It is not three. It is three and some change. It's not five. But Rhythmic is not something I don't think I would bestow upon PTA. Oh, God. Really? He's a very long-winded filmmaker. But rewatch Magnolia. There's There's some... I mean, the first hour of that film trucks along. Anyway, we're, we're going down a rabbit hole. Well, I think I'm glad you brought up Magnolia, David. It's a very, very good comparison because what we learn at the end of Magnolia or by the end of Magnolia is how intertwined all of these characters exactly are. And that happens here as well. We're really only looking at two families, the family of the serial killing wife and her brother, the sheriff. And then the family of Arvin, his father, her, you know, and uncle and all of that, yeah. you know, and, his, and let's talk sister. a little bit of. Let's talk about the little, uh, the serial killing uh, porno pornographers or self pornographers. I mean, yeah, amateur. Or the idea of of capturing their the crimes, and the crime is simply that uh, Jason Clark, who of course we saw, you'll remember, guys, as the father in Pet Cemetery, and we're visiting many here, and his wife. They are serial killers, and their M.O. is to pick up hitchhikers. We're we're in the 50s and 60s, so hitchhiking is a thing. And they lure them into the woods. The hitchhiker has sex with the wife, and then they are killed. And then he is a photographer that takes photographs of all of the killings. That alone is a movie. There is a lot of interesting, a lot of intrigue there. Yeah. And I enjoyed that part of the movie very much because, like I said at the beginning, I've got a penchant for evil on film. I mean, I, I don't mind us exploring criminal underbelly and sicko fantasies and 
But at the same time, it all comes to the halt that you would imagine it does because now it is time for everything to intersect. And that is genuinely tension-filled and interesting. Yeah. But you can't not believe that it's all plot device, which means that we probably have a very good book on our hands here. But my number one problem with the film is the narration, the narrator. Lazy, 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 and distracting. And all of that meant to me was that there's stuff in the book that they couldn't write into the screenplay, and they didn't do the show, don't tell rule of film. There's sometimes where a narrator is critical. Christmas story le leaps to mind. But here, <laughs> interesting, just distracting. That's fine. I mean, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. The, the narrator didn't bother me so much. I mean, I did know it was based on his novel and it was the actual guy. And I, and I think they wanted right, to. That, that's, a, that's a nice it touch. Was, it was the writer up. of the novel doing the narration. Yes. Oh, yeah. OK, that's yeah. cool. I, and I think they wanted to capture the flavor of this like kind of backwoods storyteller type figure. I mean, that so to me and it and the thing that struck me about the voiceover is it didn't even reveal all that much that. I wasn't seeing on screen. It was more just the sense that this backwards What's in the character's head? The, yeah, a little bit, but but it didn't even give us that much access, right? Like, I mean, one of the, like I said, I I think that this could have been developed into something else. I think this I was as I was watching it, um, I was uh, you know turning to Aaron and saying this really should probably be like a limited series on a premium cable channel or or Netflix or so you know like this should be a ten episode thing where a couple of those episodes worth of the time would have been devoted to the Hendersons and developing because again we see you know this this is the couple that does the serial killing and and you know we we see them meeting in this diner there's that kind of you know, seen towards the beginning of the film where we have two couples formed, right? We have the uh, um, the uh, the Russell character, right? The Willard Russell, played by Bill Skarsgård, meeting his future wife, Charlotte, as as a waitress at the, at the diner. And then you have uh, the Jason Clark character, Carl Henderson, meeting his to-be bride, Sandy. And, you know, their relationship we see very briefly and then we pick it up with them doing this kind of scheme. I want to know, how did he convince her this was a good idea? Was she in on it from the beginning? Like what, what was the, the because obviously later in the film, she's not as fully on board with it. We see her kind of hesitating and like, so it did it take him a lot. I don't know. There was a whole set of stories there that I felt like could have been told um, more. So the Willard character, I feel like we just scratched the surface on. There was, I don't know. There was so much, even the, the Robert Pattinson uh, reverend. I mean, th there's, I think they try to pack a lot into what is it? Just a little over two hours here. Yeah, yeah it's like two seventeen, two twenty, something like that. Yeah, and I think they kind of want to hang it on the idea that well, this is, you know, what what gets foregrounded is like what kind of havoc to some extent religion plays in these people's lives. Although that's not even quite as consistently a through line. Although it does come up with the Hendersons. I was going to say it, it is. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's the only consistent through line. It's some, it's some exploration of, of some theme. Mm -hmm. and I, I don't mean to cut you off, David, but no, ultimately, for me, the theme or the point or the voice is ultimately not there. I mean, evil exists perhaps, or evil wins, or religion is inherently bad, or I, mean, I could go on and on. Religion begets evil. I mean, it, 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 it is difficult for me to tell you what this film is about outside of, as Carlos 
pointed out well, a series of potentially interesting vignettes performed well. I, you know, I, I I have more to say, but someone go. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like there there probably isn't an easy takeaway from this film in terms of like again, I I think it clearly is fascinated with the role that organized religion plays in people's lives, especially people well, who but are a, but a very specific flavor of organized religion. That's that southern yeah, well, gothic even one that is prevalent in Appalachia, one one that's, you know, th- this is rural America and how yeah. what role does organized religion which means Christianity, right? Let's be frank, that it's not looking at how the Muslim faith is impacting people, you know. So, sure. like, that was last week. Yeah. <laughs> but not every evangelical Christian preacher goes to the spiders dumping on my head. You know, I mean, the chicken livers. I mean, there, there's some there's some there's a show. There's always yeah. a show that that, right. tent, that tent show flavor mm-hmm. of evangelical Christians, which tends to be a high level of charlatanism. And, mm-hmm. and every single religious figure here is a charlatan in this film. Sure. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Just in this film. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but, but like my, my my grandfather i never i mean i could talk about the religious aspects of this for another hour my grandfather was a fire and brimstone southern baptist preacher you mm-hmm. will not meet a finer man so i i don't paint with a really broad brush when it comes to this i mean to be honest Right. Well, I mean, it, people, there's lots of things people can use to as covers for or rationales for or without even meaning to unconsciously dabble into so that they can justify the evils that they're uh, whatever they're the, the temptations that they're led to or whatever, whether that be killing or fornicating or what whatever it is. Um, I think the the problem is that this film is is playing with is like the people who almost like delude themselves in this, right? I think that T. Garden, the Pattinson character, really on some level thinks that he is allowed to do what he does because he is a chosen one, right? Or because he's a I think and he and he believes that. And I think that to some extent, you know, that well, clearly, um, I'm forgetting the character's name. Um, Lafferty, right? The one who puts the spiders on himself and ends up getting right. bit by a spider. Yeah. You know, he on some level does think he has some special connection to God and this gift and he's going to be able to revive his wife. <laughs> you know, tragically, he is not able to. The, yeah. You know, what a I, fucking I, dumbass. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a that was a wonderful scene, though. I mean, that or a gut wrenching, but but I think wonderfully pulled up. scene. I mean, it. Yeah. Is it a full view of religion and what it does? No. I mean, and, and are there people who, who operate in much more? Um, and, and, and I think we do see some characters who are more benevolent. They're not the leaders of the churches, but, um, you, you know, to whatever extent that. Uh, so the ants. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. That makes the makes the chicken livers. She's right. nothing, she's a good person. She is. She's just trying to do right by her family and by the church. And, and, and you get it. But then, you know, again, is dressed down by the preacher without me. It's it's not a, a lot in this movie. It's not a flattering portrait of organized religion. <laughs> and, 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 and let me and let me be really clear. Allow me to clarify. There might be no more topic more required of a send up and expose than organized religion and the pain and problems that it causes in this world. Mm. And this job does, I'm sorry, this film does a fair job. It reminded me a lot of the scene in, that we discussed in There Will Be Blood, brilliantly executed by, by Paul Dano. Yeah. You know, the, the show person preacher 
yeah. who's who is a fraud mm-hmm. and whose job is to give the people whose asses are in the seats what they want that Sunday. Yeah. And and both of these pastors are very, very capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. They're both also horribly evil, despicable people. Yeah. And there is a lot of that in organized religion. I, I just wanted to be clear. Yeah. No, I, I, I get what you're saying. But it, but it's not fair probably to cast all Certainly. religion that way. But but I do think, you know, that it also shines a light on, the, you know, to some extent, the sheriff, right? The the, the brother character to Sandy, the, the great actor. counterpart to the. Yeah, right. Um, Sebastian Stan. Wait, so is it about star. religion or is it about power structures in the like. It can be about both. Because because he is someone who isn't necessarily particularly religious, but is in a place of power and like still finds himself more very easily more morally corruptible and also like very willing to let slide the sins of those close to him. Especially yes. in, a, in an election year. I mean, the notion yeah. of what of what is required to retain the power you have. Be you Robert Pattinson's preacher character who yeah. has to, you know, deny his infidelity, deny the ability that he, the, the idea that he impregnated his, you know, the, the, the half-sister of Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, it, again, that the question of what the theme is here, power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, we, we, the first scene of the film is shocking. It's um, Willard in World War II. He's on the battlefield, and one of his soldier, uh, his platoon mates, has been skinned and crucified. Mm-hmm. So they're clearly putting into uh, the effect at the beginning the what religion can do to people. It certainly warped Willard's idea of what you know the power of religion that we see very clearly. Right. Yeah. No. It, it it does seem to want to dig into that. But again, but again, also what drives people to to these extremes? You know. Again, uh, Willard having to kill this, uh, you know, um, fellow platoon member. I guess is that you, as you said. You know, like who, this. Um, to put him out of his misery. Right. To put him out of his misery. Arvin later. You know, having to. D- kill to to sort of even though he's not wanting to necessarily because he's put into those situations um and and it's his only way out um you know the sheriff choosing to kill which is maybe a little bit more i mean and it's not all motivated by religion right the sheriff we get no sense that he's a religious man i do think that what carlos said is is right that i mean i think this film is interested in how power operates um, which, if we go into rural America, means that Christianity is going to be an overriding piece of that, but also local law enforcement, politicians, which we don't see so much of. But again, as a sheriff, he is kind of both law enforcement and a politician. So I think, you know, we're seeing some of all of that, this kind of peek into what actually, you know, what, what factors are most impactful in these people's lives in these kind of small town rural America, especially in the middle part of the 20th century when they're still fairly isolated. You never see a television. You, you do hear some radio a little bit, but it's very much in bed. You get the sense that these people are fairly isolated, fairly um, 
you know, their weekly highlight is going to the church service. It, it, it's experiencing that charismatic preacher who comes in and dumps uh, spiders on his head to uh, to sort of shock and thrill the audience. So I don't know. No, it, no, no, it, no, 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 no. To teach about faith, David. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. It, I, I, I was pleasantly not knowing a whole lot about the film going into it other than the people who were involved with it. I came away feeling like this was a worthwhile exercise, even if it was one that I felt like probably deserved a little bit more development. I think it could have, like I said, I think it could have been at the very least a limited series where we get to delve into these characters a little more deeply, understand the workings of these two towns that are sort of put in connection with each other because of this sort of transfer of the Russell family or a part of it to this other area. Um, but yeah, I mean, so is it a perfect film? No. Is it one that I would recommend people checking out if they're interested in these kind of the darker side of humanity? Absolutely. It's, it's, there's nothing there to uplift you. <laughs> but but if, if you're interested in kind of probing the depths of what drives people, how does power play out even in these kind of smaller situations, seemingly smaller stake situations, I think it's an interesting film. Yeah, I, um, I, you know, I had a good time. I, you know, it, it was something I didn't mention when I first started talking about it. I had a like terrible sinus headache um, during the viewing of this film. I was um, visiting. Me and my wife were visiting uh, her sister in Austin, and we had like it was Saturday. We had gone to like a park, and we were like hanging out. Like took the dogs and stuff came back on the way home, grabbed some P. Terry's. I was pretty hungry. So I ate it like super, super fast, sat on the couch and like instantly fell asleep. And I woke up to them starting this movie and still didn't feel good. I was hoping that taking a nap would like help my headache go away. Still didn't feel good the entire time. And the entire time, all I wanted to do was close my eyes and go to sleep. But something would happen and it would draw me back in. I'd be like, well, I got to find out what the fuck's going on here, you know? <laughs> uh, so, you know, th Carla, that's not for nothing, you know? Like, that's not nothing. I think I said a sentence for the first time at the beginning of the review, but one sentence you've said over and over again is I fell asleep during this movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is I have a hard time with that. Like, if, you know depending on the time of the viewing and you know the pace of the film and whatnot I, it is very likely that i will fall asleep during it um but i didn't during this one despite that being the only thing i wanted to do was to all i that's wanted five, to do was fall that's asleep. a five-star film then yeah I mean, it was it was pretty fun i gotta say i had a guy had a good time now, and I enjoyed the idea that we'd talk about Robert Pattinson maybe one minute on his performance. He goes a little campier than everybody else in the entire film. He didn't use a dialect coach. Is that right? Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was great. It didn't bother me at all. Oh, I liked an, it. Yeah, it, it was an interesting uh, pop. In, in another, you know, a, a movie with a nice cast. Mm -hmm. I looked at the director's... Um, Kind of filmography antonio campos he co-wrote the screenplay with his brother yeah. uh i'm surprised given his previous work that he was able to pull the cast together that he did and i think that i lay the failures of the film as i've laid them out today at, at his feet that perhaps a different director might have taken the same material the same actors and created something a little more i don't know 
connected and thematically rich. I mean, if mm. we're if we're if we lived in a perfect world, Charlie Kaufman would have adapted this and inserted himself <laughs> into it. Yeah. Uh, and Robert Pattinson would have played him in this scenario, and Nick Cage would have played the preacher. Well, uh, Nick Cage in anything I know makes it a five star film for you. Clyde. I did. I did really like Robert Pattinson's performance, and I also really liked when Tom Holland's character is describing all of Robert Pattinson's indiscretions to him, because that's just that's hard as fuck. He's like mm-hmm. basically like confessing his sins, but it's Robert Pattinson's sins, and then it's like, yeah, yeah. we'll fucking kill you now because you uh, again. <laughs> Some great pieces that for me just don't come together in a very rewarding full puzzle. Yeah, I, I did. I, I, I looked a little bit uh, like you, Joe, into this guy, uh, Antonio Campos, his background. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, I'm curious to see he's worked with some great people. His film Simon Killer from 2012 has a favorite of ours, Matty Diop, uh, who made atlantics uh but yeah. has also acted many times and this was a film that she was in as That's a character interesting. uh brady corbett also who actually we didn't love as much his film uh um vox lux um that he made as director but um he was he's an actor as well and he Wait, was did in you that say we didn't like that as much um as much as atlantics uh, i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I mean that's I accurate that's generally accurate. we like vox locks but we had a little more uneven than what we felt with atlantics, atlantics was but fucking either, good either case two really fascinating young actors turned directors who were in one of his earlier films his film christine has gotten some good so i'm curious i want to see more and also i love a guy who he clearly started out doing more second unit stuff and working uh, as a producer and you know so it, it's great to see a guy i feel like on his way up and and i know you joe don't feel like he quite lived up to the material here i think he did a pretty good job i think uh, you know, like I said, it, if if anything, he's maybe guilty of biting off too much here or trying to pack too much in, take in a novel like this. And I haven't read the novel, but I imagine distilling something that sprawling into. Yeah, I imagine you're going to see a pretty dense novel, a single feature. But um, but I'm really curious to see what he does from here and to go back and even look at some of the some of those other films, because I, I like what he is interested in here and and i'm and i'm curious to see where that would develop in other places so that's 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 totally fair yeah um but but you know it seems like we're kind of coming to an end here talking about the film uh i thought we'd review vox lux again yeah (laughs) i'm down (laughs) but well we, we could go that route or we could talk about this uh this tropical Midwest fruit tart ale that we have been sipping on throughout this review that is Fire Iron from Urban Artifact. Uh, what, what did you guys think? I know we were impressed by the nose on this, the fruitiness. Uh, my only regret is that a bunch of fruit pieces didn't pour out of the can. I, I felt that this is one of the best beers we've had in a good long while. Ooh, I swear it, to God, it, if I had $5 for every time Joe said that, I would be a very rich man. It's kind of my thing. But I, do, you know I, do, do you know what I like most about this? I mean, they're they're classifying it on the can as a tart, I guess a tart ale. They're not they didn't classify it as a sour. They didn't classify it. That doesn't mean that it's not that whenever you look at their entry on this or that website, but for the ale and lightness of the fruit that you're getting, that they got 7.7% ABV out of this mm. is pretty amazing. I, I agree I, with that. I, 
I would like to have you know the entire six pack or four pack of this thing. This was a refreshing, delicious, but the high ABV really puts it over the top for me. Yeah, I I agree. I also was slightly disappointed there weren't chunks of fruit coming out, uh, but in the end, probably a good thing. Uh, very light, well, they sell, crisp. They sell you they sell you that you need to flip the can over because there's yeah. gonna be fruit yeah. in here, and then no fruit came out. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's probably for the best. Uh, but yes, light, crisp, refreshing. I wish I had drank this a few months ago uh, when it was a little hotter outside because we just got a cold front today. So the fact that it's 80 degrees in South Texas means the pumpkinators need to come out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically winter already. <laughs> um, right. But, we got the car to get out. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, yeah, I definitely, I mean, it's pants season again, baby. I am, th- I thrive when I can wear pants every day. I don't like wearing shorts, but it is a necessity in South Texas. Uh, so I'm having we, a fucking we, we've great We've seen time. your legs. We've seen your legs. We're looking forward to pants season too. <laughs> Uh, although pants season does take away all my street cred because my only tattoos are on my legs. And so I just look like, you know, a square, you know, middle management white dude when I wear pants. Um, Fixable. But yeah, I did like this beer a lot. 7.7 chef's kiss. Love it. David. Yeah, I, I'm impressed by it. I enjoyed drinking it. Um, I do think, you know, you, you guys have both mentioned that it felt kind of like, I, I do think it has kind of a heft to it, at least in the body. There was a little more viscosity, the mouthfeel there, than I than I would typically associate with something as light. But flavor-wise, very lively, very light. I mean, I'm getting that passion fruit they're talking about. I'm definitely the banana more on the nose, the guava. It, it was incredibly uh satisfying beer to be having and uh and i hear i hear what carlos is saying about it would be a great uh beer in the heat but i'll drink it now just fine too i i just burped guys pure, <laughs> pure guava thank you okay i have a, i have a question yeah would you describe this film as having a quote unquote a-list cast you put Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson and I can understand the argument, but Robert Pattinson only has what? Seven, eight minutes of screen time maximum. Yeah. And and Tom Holland is playing the older of a younger character that takes up a good majority of the first third of the film. Uh, The answer to the question is no. Okay. So here's a question. Oh, David. No, I, I think I generally agree with you, Joe. I mean, I think on paper it's a cast that you could think of as being an A-list cast, but given the actual screen time that the bigger A-listers get, it's it's probably not accurate to call it that kind of film. So here's a question. How do you define an A-list celebrity? What are well, the I criteria think... for an A-list celebrity? I'm very <laughs> curious okay. about unraveling this mystery. Well, let me answer a question with a question. Is Tom Holland an A-list celebrity? He is right now. I don't think he is. Uh, Spider-Man, I mean. Uh, I understand that he's in some big films, but I don't know if he has proven himself to be an A-list celebrity. He has proven himself to be an effective what? tool in a marketing game. I think being an A-list celebrity and being like an effective artist are different things. That's why I say right now he is, because how long he will remain in that echelon it remains to be seen. 
It was based on seeing him in other movies. And here we here we see one today. He could be on his way. He does a great job in this. Well, I think once you get your second Marvel movie, you're an A-list celebrity, since that is like the only movies that people care about, the general populace at least, anymore. Is Jeremy yeah. Renner an A-list celebrity? Yes. I don't think he is. Because everybody knows who he is. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think okay, his body. Okay, now you're talking criteria. I don't think his body her. of list. I I don't think his body of work justifies that. But I think that just due to the fact that if you showed someone a picture and they're like, oh yeah, that's Hawkeye, you know. Okay, but that's not. Well, yeah, but they, but they not, don't know Jeremy Renner. There you say. go. You take. That's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I feel. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people would at this point because he's been in the universe for ten years would probably know his name. But that that is a fair point. Uh, okay, so here's, but he hasn't had a standalone film either. That's true. Here's the real here's the real reason that I bring this up. Okay, is Nelly an A list celebrity in 2020? Nelly, the the rapper. Yeah, catch me stomping oh. in my Air Force Ones. It's getting hot in here. Now no. is he A list? In 2020, uh, would you define Nelly as an A list no, celebrity? No, no. God, I hope this is going somewhere good. No, that's the question. That's it. Full <laughs> stop. That's the question. Well, why are you about? I, I'm waiting for you to like. Is there a Nelly collab that you're cooking I, up? I, and you're I, like, am I, I fucking with an wish? A-lister? First of all, I think that he's an A-list celebrity. I think he was. I think hot in here, 2002, whatever that was. I think yeah, the dude was riding the wave. But of But here's the, here's culture. the thing though. If you play that song at a party and a club, shit goes off. I have DJed wow. enough parties to know when I play Air Force Ones, people fucking get lit. And so okay. the fact that though his body of work is still as effective today as it was the day that it was like chart topping like number one on the radio i think that makes him an he's got his he has a legacy he has a a timeless body of work and is an uh, an icon hey carlos it, it's I'm- not it's not getting hot in here so, <laughs> so put on so put on all your pants i yeah hey um I think, I think Nelly's an A-lister. Is there, any, is there anything else on your mind, Carlos? So we can, I, I feel uh, like I, I feel like we're dipping into the after-hours content already. Oh, that, that. No, that that was, I, I, you know, as as we were going, I was like, this is going to be an after-hours piece of discussion. But I feel it's too important to deprive to the general populace okay. of this All discussion. Right. Nelly is an okay, A-lister. Wait. That is the official stance of beer in a movie. At least I'm declaring it. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'd rather right. talk about. I'd rather talk about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay, he and we get also to, an A-lister. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, when when we come back from the break, um, we we will finally get the opportunity on beer and a movie to talk about the greatness of one Philip Seymour Hoffman, and maybe Cisco. wake us up you know just when you're falling asleep during a movie that's what you need is somebody just to <laughs> shout out and we're back i'm gonna i'm gonna get kylie like one of those like soundboard things there you with go a clip of me saying that so if she sees me falling asleep during a movie we're watching she can just play it on her phone in my ear that's perfect get me I'm up and super, going i'm super excited to share this beer with you uh only because um i was up in austin that means that I've got a availability of beers. If I go to a bottle shop, I did. 
and I saw this Untitled Art Chocolate Banana Imperial Stout. I remember that we had Untitled Art twice on the show before to much success. They were both collaborations, you might remember. Um, one had Marshmallow. You know, they do funky collaborations and a lot of fun adjuncts. Chocolate Banana Imperial Stout, the can art. I said I've got to pick this up and i got to bring it to the guys so we can have it on the show. We like our stouts. We like our imperial stouts. We like our adjuncts. And who doesn't like a good chocolate banana? Yeah, well, thank you, Joe, for thinking of us and, and for bringing this back. And you are absolutely correct that Untitled Art is a favorite of ours, so I'm excited to get to try another. They're out of Wenaki, Wisconsin, and this is 11%. When they say imperial, they're not being, they're not kidding around. An imperial stout with cacao nibs, cocoa, cacao nibs, and banana puree. It's our very first time, guys, to have banana as an adjunct two beers in a row. That's true. This is the banana episode. I think we, I think we have a theme here. Uh, it bananas pours, and devils. Yeah, it pour it pours a little, almost like milky. It's yeah, not, um, it's got a consistency a consistency to it. When I was looking at the pour with a light behind it, that's kind of muddy almost. Yeah, that puree. That, and that's got a, well, I was going to yeah. say, yeah, it says it has banana puree. Um, that's going to put mud in. God, there, yeah. I could just, I could just sniff this thing. I mean, the 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 aroma is. Beautiful. The the chocolate and the banana come through. It just it taste. I mean, I haven't even tasted it yet. It <laughs> smells like dessert. It smells like dessert has arrived, and and yeah. that is exciting. Um, that I'm going to get to sip on something this good while we talk about a film this good. Oh, I've shown my hand. All right. Um, no, th- this this film that we're going to do in the second half. We were trying to think of a pairing, and this was before I had even seen uh, the first film. But uh, but it just came to mind because. Films with devil in the title, I don't know. And there were several that we batted around. Devil's uh, Advocate. Devil's Advocate was one. <laughs> which we, we may take on someday. We, we could take on both of those someday. But one that I had seen back in the 2000s that I was eager to revisit um, because I remembered it fondly. And yet uh, the, the details of it weren't, weren't instantly there for me to recall. Uh, it was before the devil knows you're dead. This is a 2007 film, the final film made by Sidney Lumet uh, before he stopped directing and then died just a few years later, I think 2011. Um, and this is uh, a film featuring, as we've already said before the break, Philip Seymour Hoffman in a lead role, also a uh, beer and a movie favorite, Ethan Hawke, uh, as as his brother. So we have older brother, Philip Seymour Hoffman, younger brother, Ethan Hawke, who decide they're going to pull off, well, something like the uh, the perfect crime, st- stealing jewelry and, and money from their parents' jewelry store, a suburban jewelry store where they know this little old lady works on Saturday mornings, they're gonna be able to go in, grab the stuff, get out of there, no harm, no foul, the insurance money's gonna pay it off. And of course, whenever you construct something that perfect, something has to go wrong. And that is indeed what this film uh, shows us, is this this little uh, you know perfect heist that they're supposed to be able to pull off goes horribly awry and we get to see all of the ripple effect of those decisions that they've made uh, in in this, like I said, the final film of a great director, Sidney Lumet. 
before the devil knows you're dead. Had you guys seen this one before? I had I had not seen it before. It's been on my list since it came out because I remember all that 2000 love that it got. It was on a, a ton of top 10 lists, a ton of, you know, Sydney Lumet devotee kind of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention that, you know, it's, it is a strong film. But, I mean, I just, you know, we this is our first time to talk about Lumet on the show. And, you know, I, I did a little research. Twelve Angry Men is a powerhouse movie. It is fantastic. He made it in 1957. And he made over a, a movie a year since this final film. He was prolific and productive and they're not they're not all great but i mean that that's a level of tenacity that you just don't see it's two or three years you get a new film from a filmmaker this guy put out a film a year since 1957 yeah he he was he was incredibly uh prolific with with, through throughout his career and and making a lot of great ones in there like you said not not everyone was a huge hit, but but absolutely, most of them performed fairly well, and uh, and, he, and he's warmly remembered. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to throw that in. I wanted to throw that in. I'm glad we got the chance to finally look at one of his films. But yeah, I, I had not seen it. Carlos, had you seen this one prior to the show? No, and I regret to say I still have not. Oh boy, this is one of those dark, shameful Hi. episodes. He turned it on and he fell asleep. No, actually, uh, you know, just it was. And, a, get, and get your love of Blaze and Ethan Hawke. Okay, well, that's fine. David and I uh, look. Believe me, I, I, it, it, it was, it was not um, something that I wanted to have happened. But it was a week that we had a record store day event, and I had a music video shoot yesterday. It, that was an hour drive from where I live, so a two-hour round trip, and I got home super late, and it just, unfortunately, I just did not have any time to fit in a feature film viewing at any point during when we decided to do this movie. No worries, and today, no worries. I thought that I was going to. I really thought that I was going to be able to squeeze it in, um, and it just it just didn't happen. I tried to even do it at work today too, and I just there's not there's not there's not there's not, there's not, there's not enough hours in the day. David, I was sneaking in titles. When you consider Lumet's greatest works, you know, I, I said a few: Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, mm-hmm. Angry Men. He works with great actors and puts the camera in the place for them to deliver great performances. And here he does the exact same thing. The performances in this movie from you know the leads that you talked about, Albert Finney as the father of the two brothers, mm-hmm. uh, Marissa Tomei as the wife of C- uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman Ooh. and lover of Ethan Hawke, all fantastic performances. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, a- absolutely. Um, it- you're, you're right. I mean, he, he one of the things I think he's known for is just working with re- really great performers and, and allowing them to sort of fully imagine these roles um, that, that they're taking on. He with, a lot loved, of meat, with a lot of meat for them to chew on here. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, story. I mean, and, and there's so many sort of classic uh, story elements here. Right. These two brothers, um, they're, they're sort of. Uh, 
imbalanced relationship, right? The older brother played by C- Seymour Hoff- Philip Seymour Hoffman, the, uh, you know, Andy, who is sort of the more commanding, forceful brother who sort of, you know, fools or, or, or misleads his brother into this perfect crime scheme that he has cooked up. Ethan Hawke playing the younger, more impressionable, more vulnerable, younger brother. Uh, I mean, it's a classic dynamic, but seeing two actors of their caliber kind of dig into those roles, it was really, I loved it then, I loved it now. I think I even loved it more now because what I've seen these guys do since, and sadly, where what happened with Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know, I was watching this with Aaron, and it was her first time seeing it. Uh, we had, you know, that this came out back in the day when I regularly went to the movies on my own, like all the time. And uh, and I remember seeing this one in the theater, really loving it and, and wishing she could have seen it with me, but then getting to see it now. And that scene comes where, you know, it reveals Hoffman is uh, addicted to, to heroin and, and is going there. And it just hit so much harder now, like knowing that was a real thing that he was dealing with in his life outside of the film. Um, and that obviously that that was the thing that that ended him, this tortured uh, addiction that that he had. Um, the, you know, it, I couldn't help but be reading that into this film, which is is on some level unfair, but I think on another level, that is just what what happens, right? My largest issue with the film, David, and maybe you can um, help help me get through it, is mm-hmm. the decision that the I guess the screenwriter or mm-hmm. Lumet or the editor of y- doing the back and forth, the rather than a linear storytelling here, we're going to go mm-hmm. forward and backward, and I'm going to put words up on the screen to tell you who the main character is. Mm-hmm. In this scene, colon whose perspective we're getting, yeah, right? Whose yeah. perspective? Colon the um, a day before the robbery, seven days after the robbery, that kind of device. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I felt that it was huh. completely unnecessary. I don't know what about this story required the decision that we're going to pulp fiction the storyline here. Yeah, I didn't feel like it was as messed with as a pulp fiction, and I feel like it it. It was not as sprawling. I mean, we stuck with the same characters throughout. There wasn't a whole lot of like introducing us to new. There, there were a couple players that came in. Great to see Michael Shannon in that role. Yeah, he pops up out of nowhere and just is as fantastic as always. Yeah, right. But I, but seeing it in 2007, I had no idea who he was. So it's kind of funny to see it again and think like, wow, that <laughs> that was a great role for him early on. That really uh, a career that's panned out. But uh, but I hear what you're saying. I mean. It's not that I don't think the film could have been effective had it been told in a much more straightforward, linear chronology. However, I I do think there's something gained there in that, you know, it starts, you start from that seed of, you know that this this robbery, this heist has gone awry. I mean, that that's something right, that gets established early on. Theme. So yeah. you, you, you take away the mystery of, are they gonna do it? Is this gonna work? Like, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> You know, you just take that off the board. And then so the focus of the film becomes, well, what compels somebody to do something like this? And then how do they deal with the aftermath of this thing? So the heist itself, which I feel like a lot of heist movies kind of build to, you you take that away and it just makes it clear it's not so much the heist that we're fo- that we're interested in here. Sure. Drives, what's driving these characters to make these poor decisions? What's driving them? Where you know, again, eventually we reveal, oh, 
Philip Seymour Hoffman is an addict and he's been stealing from his company and he has it, you know. So like there's all a, of yeah, that stuff. There's a, there's a forthcoming audit. And gets pulled out. If we had had to front load the film with him having these problems at the office and him knowing that he has an addiction and him pushing his brother, I don't know if it would have felt the same. Uh, coming and then. Up. I don't know. I don't and know. then for me, the entire device is acerbated by that um, weird editing cut back and forth between the scenes which when we shift me, into the flashbacks yeah it's it, it's like you know it's 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 scene one scene two scene one scene two and it was distracting yeah and it, it like telegraphed this urgency of the film cut it certainly yeah. makes you aware of the film cut yeah it doesn't exist when you get to the new scene often Right. And, and we don't need to belabor the point. And no, that but, was but it's, it is a standout. It is a standout technique. Oh, a, I can't. I it's can't a big think decision. Of a, can't think of another film I've ever seen that has done that. Right. Um. It, it th that kind of rapid back and forth editing that goes on as we're shifting into the the flashbacks or or you know the where characters are you know kind of thinking reflecting back on their their motivations what it is that drew them to it but um. But yeah, I don't know. Is that was that necessary? Maybe not. Um, but I, but it also didn't kill it for me. I don't know. It, it, it seems to be a decision made in 2007 that uh, the filmmaker, if they could look back on it now and change one thing, might have changed because it doesn't give you much. The you know what I liked most about the movie, we don't know what happened to Ethan Hawke. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, Carlos, all of this. Um, drama that's been simmering in this family for a long time uh two brothers and their relationship the father with the two brothers and the individual relationships the reason why these two guys probably were ill-equipped to pull off a heist to begin with one of them is addicted to drugs the other one's kind of a bumbling fool david uh ethan hawk's character yeah he's kind of a screw-up and then um, it, it, it culminates into people dying. But Ethan Hawke gets away, and then it ends. We don't know what happened. And I enjoyed that kind of not sewing it up for us. Yeah. I, I like that it was left open-ended like that, too. Uh, it was something that I, I don't even remember thinking about that much the first time I saw it. But seeing it this, this second time uh, just now, it, it definitely – like you, it made a good impression because I, I like the film tied up enough. You know, obviously the mother dies, the, the father ends up taking the life of his older son because he finds out what he's done and, you know, and, and all that. But that uh, the Ethan Hawke character, well, and also, you know, the Marissa Tomei character, we don't know, like, what exactly happened there. Like, did they, because they were having an affair, you know, there, there was that whole thing going on. And again, you, you've already mentioned it, but Mar Marissa Tomei is fantastic. I love her. We, we had her uh, in King of Staten Island recently. And, you know, it's kind of a new phase of her career, I guess, playing the mom characters. But this was, you know, prime Marissa Tomei uh, as the, the female romantic lead uh, in this film. And Wait, just, we're not still in prime Marissa Tomei as the female romantic well, lead? Still, she is, but <laughs> she's Spider-Man. I'll, I'll take Marissa Tomei as the female romantic lead any single day of the week. This to me is not a great movie. It's not in Sydney Lumet top ten movies. You don't think this is a great movie? Not not great. Good, oh. good, ooh, enjoyable, ooh. but uh, the movie's thirty minutes too long, in my opinion. Huh. Um, they 
<laughs> I, I really wish you had seen it too. I feel like we need a tiebreaker here. And yeah, you can I'm break gonna, the tiebreaker. I'm going to I'm gonna say that this was an amazing film oh, to wow. a career on. I think that this sure. was. Yes, 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 yes. It, it was Lumet doing what he did. Like you said, you set it up, Joe, that like he worked with great actors, let them do their thing. Now, I can understand you may be taking issue with some of the, you know, the storytelling here and the, and the choices made in terms of the editing and the and the shifting in time. I think it kind. I, I do think it has its purpose. I think it enhances the drama. It puts the focus on the unfolding of the dysfunction of this family, and and away rather than the unfolding of the botched robbery. But um, but man, to see Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman going head to head in some of those sequence, th- those scenes that they had together, to see Michael Shannon in the mix there, to see Albert Finney, that scene with Albert Finney and Philip Seymour Hoffman when they're uh, in the backyard there at the picnic table, sitting and and having this you know kind of father son moment where you know essentially Finney's trying to apologize for ha- you know having been a terrible dad, and and Hoffman just kind of begrudgingly accepts it, but at the same time, I mean, it's just, it, David, it's that, David, it's marvelous. That scene, that scene fell flat for me until, Ooh. hold on, hold on, until later in the car when Philip Seymour Hoffman has his breakdown mm-hmm. and expl- and says to Marissa Tomei, his wife, you don't get to undo a lifetime of bad and a simple apology. Yeah. That, that ratchets up the power of the scene prior. Okay. The, the, there, there is a lot here. I never was bored, I, but, but I felt Ooh, like Hoffman falling apart at the end there, where he's just shooting everybody. I mean, I, I don't know. And maybe, maybe part of it is my Philip Seymour Hoffman fanboy coming out, where like well, honestly, Magnolia. It's very clear. I anytime I see, I get, and it, it is that way. When I'm flipping around, when I'm looking at the the guide, and I don't have a particular movie in mind, and I see a Philip Seymour Hoffman title in there. I'm going to stop. I'm going to watch. I can't help myself. He's, he's just, he, but, but David, he chews a little bit here, but you enjoy him chewing. So you forgive it. It builds to the chewing and it's an earned chewing. It's an earned chewing. Okay. Well, okay. I'm not going to argue with you then. So here's my input on this film. I I can't wait. um, He just watched a few minutes of it on his iPhone. Like I've seen a few scenes of them out of context, and I can tell you that I very much know what this movie is about. I can't believe Sydney Lumet would or Sydney Lumet would make this film. It's important. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we did up, we did uh, have a one really long comment on one of our Instagram cuties posts. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. Yes, I did see that. Uh, yeah, it was really funny. Were you were you the one who replied to it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> of course I was. Did you <laughs> what, see what did how, you say? Go on. It was this super super <laughs> unnecessarily. <laughs> And like inappropriately long comment for an Instagram post. And I, I read some of it and I was just like, go and on. They had, and they hadn't listened to the episode, I guess. No, I think it was a bot. I think it was a bot, honestly. I think you're right. I think a they cutie's were, bot. I think they were just uh, pasting that comment into any post that was made about the film. Yeah, but yeah. some QAnon MAGA bot. What I'll say about this movie is the I can tell you the only movie by this director I've ever seen is Network. Huh. And Sidney Lumet's 75 films or that he's credited to directing, or 75 works, they're not all films, that he's credited to directing. I've only seen Network, but... He started off well. It's a great movie. Uh, what we need to do is we need to revisit Lumet. 
Sure. Is it Lumet or Lumet? I feel like it's I've Lumet. I've always heard Lumet. Okay. I've always heard Lumet. When I see it, I want to say Lumet. But I've if it's, but if it's Lumet, it it's Lumet. I looked it up to sound really smart on the show, and the internet told me it's Lou dash capital M-E-T. Lumet. Okay, so it is Lumet. We need to do a Sydney Lumet episode, and we need to do the film released the year before before the no. devil knows you're dead which is find no. me guilty a film in which no. a one vin diesel is depicted no. with a full head of hair no. i'll tell you what i am looking at stills <laughs> from this movie and i am Bad. freaking out the fabric of reality is unraveling around me because i am looking at images of vin oh. diesel with a full head of hair it is truly <laughs> freaking me the fuck out sydney uh, lumet had a couple of uh, clunkers and i don't that know it seems very categorical. it's look we're talking vin diesel peter dinklage we're talking um what's his alex fucking, rocco um oh where where did his name go uh the guy that played jeremiah sand and mandy he also played thomas wayne linus oh, roach man. uh we're talking linus roach uh i think that uh, oh carlos you haven't seen the movie you can't hijack us with uh the 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 sydney lumet no Vin i'm diesel. saying i want to do that on the show i'm okay. pitching a future episode we'll, we'll hash this out after hours but, but for now but for now we can let it be seen between the two of us it's not it's a film that's worth seeing one of us thinks it's an absolute masterpiece in the lumet uh filmography the other one thinks well the other one ruined it for you when you see those cuts between the things. Sorry, my Here, bad. Here's what I'm going to do. Hey. I'm going to watch three movies this week. Whatever two movies we're doing next week and this movie. And a week from today, when this episode comes out, I will have dealt the the final blow in this argument and so it. so listen to next week's episode and you will find out who is right joe or david i will decide all right nice. i will decide well guys right. we've held on to this chocolate banana stout for a good long while now yeah it probably looked delicious in the refrigerator every time you opened the door. It's a stout with chocolate and banana puree. What did y'all think? 11% uh, here's a fun fact about me. I hate banana. Ooh. But I don't hate this beer. I'm surprised. It It is a very... I don't love it either. It's been a very slow drink. It's, very, it's a very odd experience for me. Because... I, I don't like banana... I don't want to eat a banana by itself. I don't want to eat banana flavored things, but I do. I will make an exception for smoothies. A banana in a smoothie is very good because it's for texture, not for flavor as much. You get a little bit of the flavor, sure, but if you're going like heavy red berries in there and you put some banana in there, you get strawberries, raspberries, banana, you get the creaminess from the banana. And because of how strong the flavor from those berries are it overpowers it and you're left with just the positive effect of the texture now i feel like something similar is happening here for me in that i'm getting a lot of chocolatey kind of bits or whatever or flavors kind of but uh, some of that creamy texture from banana puree some of the flavor is for sure coming through but it's in a way that I don't find super offensive or uh, I'm not, I don't know. I, I really am having a very strange 
experience with this beer because it is pretty good. So I have none of that hang up with the banana like you're talking about. Um, I, I enjoy the you fruit. You want people to give you the banana. I want people to give it to me in the tailpipe, <laughs> wherever they need to. I'm, I am your backdoor man when it comes to bananas. But <laughs> when we're talking about this, I think this is a fantastic realization of that sort of chocolate banana combo, which I guess my mind goes to – you know, there is the frozen banana, right? The, the mm-hmm. chocolate-covered frozen banana Blue's dessert. Bananas. That's been a long time since I've had one, but but it's making me think of that. Also, banana splits, where you get that section of the banana split that has the chocolate syrup along with the banana. Um, it's creamy. It's got the body it needs. I mean, it is. It's dessert in a glass. It's one of those sort of dessert imperial stouts that I think just nails it. If you don't like banana, don't get it. I mean, like the bottom line, it's it's there. The chocolate's there. If you like those flavors, you're gonna love this beer. But um, yeah, I have no reservations. It, it's a novelty beer, no doubt. Like the big Rojo that we've enjoyed on the show, like the best made pickle beer. This is a novelty beer, but I like banana. I like chocolate banana. I this is I've had two of these now because I owned the four pack. I keep two. You guys get one each. So as as my second one, it's better than the first experience. I was curious when I had it the first time what y'all's first experience is going to be like because because Carlos, like you said, it's different than almost any beer I've ever had before. I would agree with that. And it comes down to how much, I think, how much banana they put into the beer and how it changes the composition of the beer as it pours, as you drink it. But I'm telling you, this is this is enjoyable. And the 11% has a heat on it that is separate <laughs> from the flavor profile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which I enjoy. I'm enjoying here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Love 11%. Love it. <laughs> I think I'm looking forward to this after hours episode, to be honest with you. I have no idea where we're about to go. <laughs> well, yes. And if you're a Patreon uh, subscriber, you're, you're going to find out soon. We're only going to be but, talking about the criteria for A-list celebrities. And, yeah. and David's tailpipe. And yeah. Vin Diesel with hair. <laughs> and the merits I don't feel there. like I can comment on that. Well... You better get ready. Uh, <laughs> well, have you had this particular offering from Untitled Art? Um, did you, unlike me, actually see both of these films? Uh, and how did you feel about them? Who's right, David or Joe? Well, that's a that's a social media that's a social media poll uh, that we should put up. Um, Anyhow, um, let us know what you think. Vote in that poll when it goes live. I'm sure it will somewhere. Uh, maybe I'll put it up on Twitter on, uh, on Friday after you have ample time to listen to this episode. Uh, please let us know what you thought. Have you had this Untitled Art Beer? Have you had uh, the Fire Iron from Urban Artifact? Um, are your beer habits changing as the weather is cooling? I know Joe's habits change as the weather changes mm-hmm. mine do not uh, find us on twitter at beer movie show instagram at beer and movie facebook.com slash beer and movie tx beer and movie podcast.com is where you can find a link to listen to all of our past episodes absolutely for free and uh hit us up on patreon become a uh, a patron of the show five dollars a month gets you access to a bonus episode for every episode that we record so that's a extra episode every single week uh it's only five bucks you can contribute less than five dollars a month and still be a patron and you know 
feel, you know, exclusive and like, you know, you're part of the gang, you just won't get those extra episodes. Um, so fair warning on that bit. Uh, but yeah, this has been another great episode. As I have said, much remiss and deep regret on my end for not having seen before the devil knows you're dead big philip seymour hoffman fan obviously we all know probably his seminal career defining work was along came polly uh but he's done a lot of other great work outside of that as well that should not be forgotten uh but until next time philip seymour hoffman's defining work is in twister I'm, that's not the sign off of the show. I just, it sounds uh, like it is. I just wanted to rebut before uh, David gave the quote. So do do it again, Carlos. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, this is all staying in. <laughs> so until next time, how are we going to fix it so your shit doesn't fall on my shoes? Ooh.